0: Oh, hey, I'm Nevin, and I'm cooking up a podcast. Each week, I'm going to share some new recipes, talk to people about food and cooking, make some videos, and go on some adventures. You can find it all at nevintaylorcooks.com. This week, I'm going to the South End to SRV restaurants, interview chefs Kevin O'Donnell and Michael Lombardi. I'm going to open some cider I made in the fall and have a tasting. We're going to have the second edition of what's in the woods with Tyler and I'm making I'm really risotto I'm in the instant pot. All right. Thanks for listening. This is the fourth episode of cooking up a podcast And this week, I go to the South End and talk with the chefs of SRV, Kevin O'Donnell and Michael Lombardi. They're just killing it. SRV has been nominated for uh, Best New Restaurant Award by the James Beard Foundation. They won the Best Italian Restaurant in Boston in 2017. Four-star review from Boston Magazine. Cool spot, really special place. Some of the things that make the restaurant uh, different, uh, when they built it out, they put a flower room downstairs so they grind all of the flowers from the grain to make their pastas they make all the pastas in-house uh yeah it's a venetian inspired restaurant which we talk about in our conversation kevin and mike uh came into boston hot they Opened up a restaurant in Paris called La Fise, and it just got like crazy good reviews. They were in the neo bistro movement. Um, They were in all the magazines, all the press. As Americans in Paris, Um, yeah. And then they came to Boston, and and they're doing their thing and shredding. Um, This week, we also have right now the second edition of What's in the Woods with Tyler. So,
1: this week, what's in the woods? Dandelions. We just went out and grabbed some nice dandelions, pulling up the roots, make some nice medicinals.
0: So, when you go get dandelions right now, what are you getting? Why are you getting them now? What do you look for and how do you get them?
1: Well, now they got all their energy still in their root because they've been storing up all their energy for the wintertime. And so before they start putting up too many leaves and before they put their energy into the flowers, they'll have more of that down in the roots. So it'll be, you know, more full of energy. It'll have, uh, maybe it be a little more tender. Good for the belly.
0: So you dig it all up out of the ground. Yeah. And it's like dirty, muddy. Yeah.
1: Wiggle them out. Try to get the try to get the whole root out as much as you can because they go down really far. Yeah. All the ones we got, we, we're breaking them off halfway. I still got to bring them home and wash them. That's the next. Part. Take them home, wash them in the sink, then what? Uh, I would dry them out or put them right into some booze. Uh, or just dry them out, air dry, and then roast them later. And just save it forever. Totally. Yeah. And then use them for teas later or, or whatever. Yeah. That's like a big thing right now, like the dandelion totally teas. Yeah. Really good for your belly Very yang, very yang food. Very yang, it's a very yang food. Oh, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, like ying, yin and, and yang. yang. Yeah, it's a very yang food. It's like in the ground. <laughs> I don't know. I'll look that up. Don't quote me on that. So, after
0: we went out in the woods, turns out Tyler was quoted, and he is right in traditional Chinese medicine. It is a very yang food. I'm going to link a bunch of stuff below about dandelions and maybe come up with some recipes how you can use dandelion roots. Um, After talking to Kevin and Mike, going to talk a little bit about um, the Nordic Food Lab and going to a talk at Harvard this week and opening up cider um, that I made in the fall. So this is Kevin, Mike, and I talking at SRV Restaurant a couple weeks ago.
2: So, my name is Kevin O 'Donnell. Uh, I grew up in Rhode Island, North Kingstown. Um, I grew up uh, always eating a ton of food. I was always the you know the person like going back for seconds, thirds, fourths, whatever at the table um, so i 've always loved to eat food didn 't always love to cook food um, my family there's a couple of people that are really good cooks I'm um, not really any professional cooks or anything so I don't know how I actually got inspired into cooking I think honestly it was just because I love to eat yeah. and that's kind of what you know my mom eventually was just like you need to cook this yourself um, I kind of knew that I didn't want to go to college also that was a decision that I made when I was like a junior in high school um, so I had to figure out you know, what am I gonna do if I am not going to college? So I started working in restaurants just because it was like an easy job to get. Um, And then just kind of worked my way up and then fell in love with cooking professionally. Worked for a really good chef that inspired me. Um, And he actually inspired me to go to school. Who was the chef who inspired Uh, you? His his name is Walter Slater. Yeah. he was the chef of this little restaurant in North Kingstown called Junction Pizzeria. Just like pizza, Italian food, yeah. kind of like a, like a toned down version of the Salty Pig, which is kind of inevitably why I was so attracted to the Salty Pig like 15 years later. Oh. So yeah, so I, I met him. He inspired me to go to school, went to school. Uh, I'd already worked in restaurants for a couple of years, so I wasn't really totally into staying at school for that long. So I only went for um, almost a full year. Did an externship in Italy came back, got a great job, blah, 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 never went back to school. Learned by working in restaurants. A lot of blah, 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 and then we opened up a restaurant.
3: I'm Michael Lombardi, and uh, I was born and raised in Connecticut to a uh, pretty traditional, obnoxious, Italian, large, Italian-American family. So food was always part of just like getting together. It's kind of like what brought us together most of the time. So that was, I never really thought about restaurants or thought about cooking. I didn't really do a lot of cooking myself. I would help out just like, no different than my siblings or my cousins, really. Um, and I went to college Boston University and studied business, studied entrepreneurship. And started working in restaurants when I got to Boston. When I graduated, I wanted to go to culinary school. So I went to the Culinary Institute of America. I did that for a year. And then um, went to my externship in Italy, which is where I met Kevin. And- You guys met-
2: in Italy. In Italy.
3: Under the Tuscan sun. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Only in Umbria, so <laughs> under the Umbrian <Yeah>.
3: sun. <laughs> oh. well. So, cool. yeah, we lived together in a house in um, outside of Orvieto in a place called Boschi, and we worked in Orvieto, and we would drive in every day with a couple other guys and girls, and uh, we'd work all day, and then drive back home to our little house. Um, cook, cook in the kitchen, fireplace so. in the kitchen. Yeah. Yes. Like, that is yeah. ridiculous. And we would... <clears throat> our uh, the italian chef that we worked for was like very americanized in his work ethic yeah. which is you know you think of an italian they take a break in the middle of the day and they like sit in the piazza and like talk to their friends and yeah. and he was not like that he's like go 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 so we worked seven days a week and we would like try to convince him to close the restaurant one night so we could all hang out as friends and we'd go back to the house and we just like light a fire on the uh like on the driveway, like the gravel driveway, we would just like get a bunch of grates and cook a bunch of food out on the driveway, and that would be like a night off for us. We'd like get some pork and get some vegetables, just grill.
2: We also we also had a fireplace in the kitchen, so you could like build a fire, cook it down. You're in the kitchen, cooking food in a fireplace. The house was over 300 years old. It was amazing. Olive grove on you know a vineyard. There was that's that was the house. You're
3: on the top of a hill. Yeah, it's um, pretty wild. Yeah.
2: And Lorenzo, the chef, was he was born in Rome, so you know his food is very much, you know, like amatriciana, carbonara. So we learned all that stuff from him, which was really awesome because Roman food is is amazing. But then he has also lived in Umbria for the past 20 years, so Umbria's food is different from the food of, of Latvia, where Rome is. Um, you know, it's kind of had this like influence of Tuscany, influence of Marche, like all the regions around it. So. You know, we learned learned quite a bit. But his, so he's really smart. Uh, He grew up in agriculture, so he grew up on a farm. You know, he has a vineyard. He has an olive grove. uh, All this shit that his dad taught him, That is, he's just, like, a really brilliant person. Um, Culturally, he's really smart about the whole European Union, but Italy really, he's, like, knows all the history and everything. So he's a really great teacher um, to learn about the country and to learn about the culture of Italy, which is inevitably, I think, the most valuable thing that... I took away. I don't want to speak for you, yeah, but, definitely. um, you know, his food was, his food was authentic, but
0: also like whimsical. You, you guys, sounds like you got more the Italian lifestyle lifestyle.
2: You know, we learned the classics. Uh, One of The sous chef, um, this guy Carlo, he was very much more like authentic Italian food, traditional, and taught us about like Sicilian food. He would like
3: (laughs) fight you over whether or not an ingredient existed in a dish. Like there was no, it's like, this is what's in caponata. If that's not in it, it's not caponata. And like he had his list and that was it. You couldn't like make a substitution because you didn't have something. It was like, no, no, this is in caponata.
0: If we don't have it, we're not making it. Yes. Cool. That's what I would imagine it to be more like, where it's like, this is how we make it, and that's it. Right.
3: There was also like a lot of freedom there because Lorenzo was, wasn't was as strict as Carlo was. Like, He doesn't have as many rules about cooking. Yeah. And we used to make pasta like all day long there. Even oh, pasta that wasn't even on the menu. Yeah, it's just like, I want to learn how to make this shape. We would just like sit around and make that shape all day long.
2: Yeah, and that's kind of actually how we bonded. And yeah. then we'd
3: cook it for like family meal because like you don't open restaurants in Europe even when we were at La Fise in Paris. I don't know, maybe that changed 7:30 now, but seven o'clock, 7.30, yeah. yeah, you open the door to the restaurant. Yeah. So you would do all your prep or whatever and then you'd sit down for like family meal. Dinner would be like 6.30 at night. You might even have a glass of wine and a bowl of pasta. And, uh, and then you'd get up and then you would do dinner service and dinner service was just like 7.30 until like nine thirty. Yeah.
2: And then we get a call one day from this Parisian guy that I had met uh, a few years back. He was living in, he was actually living in New York, working at the James Beard house. So I met him there. Um, we stayed in touch and then he was opening up his own restaurant. So he reached out and was like, Hey, I'm opening up a restaurant. Uh, I'm looking for a chef. Do you know of anybody? Are you interested? blah. blah, blah. so I like, I, I, think about the email for a day and then i i respond i'm like yes interested and then call him right away i'm like yeah this just happened yeah yeah. and this opportunity to move to paris came along so we're like you know what let's do it screw it so literally we bought tickets and two weeks later we were there so we just like pick up and move to paris and it's wild um So we kind of figured out once we were there about this Neo Bistro movement, what that scene was. So to be involved in it, you know, the chefs and the other restaurant people, winemakers, they were so open with us. Like we met some really great friends and people that, you know, to be able to go and hang out with Greg Marchand and for him to be totally cool with us and be like, oh, yeah, these are the purveyors that I use. You guys should look into this. You know, it was like really, yeah, it it was a shocking experience because... Um, so yeah, we just met all these people that were so open to us. Um, we uh, yeah. were just doing us, but people really came into that. Like Michelle Bra came in no. for, yeah, it was like, it, it turned out to be a pretty wild experience. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. So much success that we didn't actually plan for. You know, Bon Appetit wrote about us. The New York times wrote about us. Uh, we got voted best bistro in Paris by La Figaro scope. Um, or no, I'm sorry. Best new bistro by La Figuriscope and then also La Guide La Bay, which is like one of the big, it's like their their go to food guide of the city, mm-hmm. you know, bistro of the year. It's like, it was crazy.
0: Yeah. So what will- now that you're here running an Italian restaurant, right? Venetian specifically and maintaining i guess maybe more of like a authentic energy towards the food um, how you navigate through
3: boston through that lens what the standard i think we try to hold ourselves to for authenticity is if someone lived for venice in 20 years and came here we'd want them to be like wow i appreciate the venetian food that's being served here i could tell it's stylistically yours but i also have an understanding of the tradition that you're serving, really. We've made it something new, it's not the way they serve it in Venice, but, and we might use a Asian ingredient where they wouldn't, or we might use a, you know, I don't know, citrus or something like that. Like we might use a a yuzu right now or something like that that's on a dessert menu that they wouldn't, but the root of the whole thing is like, they can get it, they can understand it. It makes sense and it's a complete idea for them. Um, and it's true to like the tradition of, okay. So what is Venetian food? So Venetian food is, uh, which is like small tapa style bites. Like think of a crostini with like one thing on it, pop it in your mouth. You're sitting at, you're standing in a wine bar. There's only enough space for 20 people. you have a glass of wine? There's a bunch of stuff in a case and you just like point at what you want. And they said like tea sandwiches and like crostini and like Pasta, like tons of seafood, obviously. Risotto. Risotto's, Risotto's huge. huge in Venice. Yeah. Big, big, big in Venice. And also there's like
2: a ton of different cultures that are all kind of intertwined in Venice because the empire, like the Venetian empire has been around, I don't know if it's as long as or longer than the Roman empire they were around for. And they... They were big into ships, so they sailed all over the place. You know, Rome, the Roman Empire was really just like, they they sailed a little bit, like they went to Africa, and you know they went into the Middle East a little bit. But um, you know, Venetians went everywhere. But there's a really big influence of like Croatian, um, you know, a lot of Slavic, the Slavic nations. and then you get like austria uh, it would be easy for us to just be like the food of venice is you know liver and onions baccalà mantecato and you know just kind of squid ink risotto and that's like the only thing that we put on the menu but we look for inspiration from not only like venetian cuisine but we'll go to we'll, we'll read about croatian cuisine or we'll, we'll read about austrian cuisine or something or german cuisine and kind of figure out a way to to tie the two together you know especially in the winter months where it's like you know kind of more comfort food heavier food we kind of lean towards more like germany and austria and um you know summertime might be a little bit more croatian because it's coastal and it's on the adriatic just like venice and So we can kind of have fun with it. And then sometimes it's like a component of one cuisine mixed with something else. You know, it's not totally all one cuisine.
0: But you guys are serious. You got the risotto station. The risotto station. Serious risotto station. So walk me through making a risotto or what risotto, what you think about when you come up with a new risotto dish. So we use ocarella.
3: Uh, is is the rice we use. It's from outside Venice. It's Carnaroli is the style of rice. So a little bit longer grain than Arborio. The, they age it for a year there to give it to like the perfect level of dryness, I guess, that they, will put, they will want it to be before they ship it out. So they age it. Um, and then we start with uh, what we call like a shallot confit. So it's just shallots in olive oil, like slowly cooked before service so that we can just have something ready to go, aromatic to put into the pot. Uh, and then we add the the rice, it's already pre-portioned by weight, um, add a little bit of salt, kind of parch the rice a little bit, add the wine, um, cook that down, and then we pick whatever the rice is going to be, depends on what the stock is. So clam rice now gets clam stock, um, our octopus rice we actually cook with muscle stock, um, bone marrow rice we cook with chicken stock, um, and we, we keep our stock a little bit less intense than you would if you were like making a sauce because we're gonna have to keep cooking the stock down. The hard part of it is to, you know, it's really easy, not easy, but it's easier when you're creating a dish to say, okay, like I need all these components. I need something sweet. I need something sour. I need something, you know, bitter. I need something salty. So you like you have all these different components that like layer together. I need something crunchy. I need whatever. When you're cooking risotto, it's like everything has to exist in one pot. And that's the challenge of it. And there's always this level of, uh, uh, simplicity to it and like rustic it's like it's always just a pot of rice like if you garnish it up too much it's like you kind of you look like the fool you kind of too hard. yeah exactly yeah. so it's like how do you put a bowl of rice in the middle of a bunch of people that is just going to be really tasty
0: what are some of the tricks what are some of the things that you've done to like sneak stuff in maybe at the end or like
2: yeah i think it's i think it's about honestly it's like the beginning and the ends the beginning is you know, how they cook the garlic or how they bloom in the chili or whatever. Um, and then, like you say, make a flavorful stock that's not too overpowering. But the end is, like, the acid. The f- you know, we don't really – we never put any cream or anything in, in rice. Um, we try not to put too much butter, but butter's good in rice. Uh, but, yeah, we use, a, we use a ton of lemons. Yeah. Lemon is, like – Lemon juice. Yeah, we, we do enjoy using little vinegars here and there, but um, especially in the summertime, we crush lemons. I've never worked at a restaurant that has used so much lemon juice um, to balance the food, and I think that that's, like, one of the best balancing ingredients for Italian food is lemon. Yeah, and then, like, fresh herbs, you know, brighten it up. There's somebody
0: on risotto station.
2: Yeah, it's a challenging station to manage all those different pots. You know, we could sell on a busy night anywhere between, like, 50 and 75 rice. Um You know, that's one person stirring rice start to finish. So imagine fire a rice, you start it. And then three minutes later, fire a lobster rice, then fire a bone marrow rice. And they have to be able to manage, you know, all the different times and, you know, when to give attention to a certain rice and like what stock to be putting in. You know, there's no labels or there's no like diagram on where to put the pots. It's like the one all the way to the right is the one that you're going to finish first. And then there could be seven different varieties of timing and types of rice in between that so
0: that's rad risotto is cool you guys do the flip thing
2: we do yeah we definitely do it at the end that's yeah. something that it's like the te- kind of the test at yeah. the end of the rice um venetians call it alonda which means like of the wave yeah tossing it in the pot um kind of seeing like how s- suspended those rice kernels are and this st- in like the starchy liquid
0: and um yeah last time i was here you crazy dudes are talking about roasted kiwis in a dish. <laughs> is that still happening? Is it over, or
2: what was it? Actually, got transferred into pastry now. I think Megan was Megan was inspired by the kiwi. So uh, yeah, so the roasted kiwi roasted kiwi is a good example of how he and I kind of like feed off each other, but also use each other as ideas sometimes. So like, he he was talking about kiwi. In our first year being open, and he's like, "I want to put kiwi in a dish somewhere." Um, kind of came up with like
3: an idea, didn't really work out. If you look at a map, if you're like one of those tourist maps when you go somewhere, they're like like cartoonish or whatever. If you were in like a hotel in Venice, let's say, and there was like a tour map, it'd be like, "This is where like Valpolicella wines made, and this is where this is." And then they also, you'll literally see a kiwi in the middle of the map. It's because they're like the largest producing kiwi area. In Italy and Italy is the second largest producing kiwi country in the world and then it started as in my mind It started as so when you're in like most all over Italy, but especially like in Rome It's like prosciutto and melon. So like you have this speck which is like the smoked prosciutto kind of from the north Alto Adige So I was like speck and kiwi that's like our northern we can make like a northern prosciutto and melon out of like speck and kiwi and I made it and I hated it and then we like put it aside and We got busy and then Kevin picked it up the following yeah, year. Yeah, this past year.
2: So we did same thing. We like roasted, so we just took kiwis, roasted them in the oven until they were like soft, soft. It really changes the flavor. It almost right. tastes like roasted grapes and um, like this really interesting flavor. Um, it tone. It's still tart, but um So then we we folded that into a butter, made like a compound butter with it, and then kind of took that same idea of his speck um, and just ground up prosciutto and made a filling for ravioli. So it was raviolis that were glazed in in a kiwi butter. So like roasted kiwi pulp, we added a little extra pulp in there filled with prosciutto. So, uh, and then just like sauteed spinach and toasted hazelnuts, really nice. Like big hazelnuts from Oregon. That are really tasty um and that was it. That was a dish and it was really tasty it's like people read the menu and they're they're yeah, like did I actually just read that kiwi in a pasta so it's just every once in a while too we like to try to have an ingredient that shouldn't belong or yeah wouldn't expect yeah flavor that you wouldn't necessarily expect in a pasta or something else so it was a fun pasta to make I think people people enjoyed it
0: all right, so I don't think that that pasta is on the menu anymore, but Kevin and Mike are always doing some fun and interesting stuff at the restaurant, so you should go check them out, see what they're doing. I think they have some kind of cicchetti takeover thing that happens every month where guest chef comes in and re- redo part of the menu. They collaborate and stuff. Maybe uh, they'll want to do one with me after this. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh anyway just want to talk about some food so a little bit of food nerdy stuff that happened this week there was a talk at harvard by roberto flore he's the head of research and development at the nordic food lab in copenhagen and i was just super inspired by him and what it is that they're doing and i've been following them for a long time and uh Yeah, they just they're they they look at new food ways and explore culture, science, history and how people come together and they investigate raw materials and uh, traditional processes, modern techniques, and they go in like a deep dive that is like half scientific and half food and cooking related. Um, And they open source and share all of the results of all these things. They've done a lot of stuff like um, fermenting stuff. So like looking into what happens when you make sauerkraut and different types of misos and all sorts of stuff like that. They look into native seafoods in the area around Copenhagen and try and find ways for people to eat it. But yeah, it's just super inspiring stuff just trying to interact with food and bring different types of food in front of people a different way. He just came out with a new book. So their new thing is like eating insects and finding deliciousness in eating insects, which is a little out there for a lot of Western people, but in a lot of the world, it's commonplace. So yeah, I was just trying to find new ways of eating food and investigating food. New book is out by them, which is really interesting on eating insects. Uh, also opened up the first few bottles of cider That I made in the fall cider pressed from apples that were foraged in the area Um, so all free from people's properties who let me take them had some help from some friends thank you Marcus and Bill for helping with the collecting and juicing and you know pressing and all of that sort of stuff Um, and yeah results came out for the first attempt really good definitely like drinkable and going to be better so i'm going to do it again this year i'm going to try and share some more stuff like kind of as i'm doing that stuff i'd made 38 bottles this year 750 milliliter bottles um so wine wine size and it's uh slightly sparkling and you know tweaked a recipe on a couple of different things and came up with something that was um pretty interesting so yeah keep your eyes peeled in the fall for more cider stuff and maybe i'll share some stuff from uh the cider pressing last year Um, and you can listen to the podcast with Bill Perkins from last week and he has the cider press at the agricultural hall um, in JP. So after talking with Kevin and Mike this week, they are very serious about their risotto and I'm going to develop a recipe that is not so serious. I'm going to make risotto in the instant pot. Yeah, I'm going to share that on my YouTube channel so you can check that out. Uh, everything's going to be updated on nevintaylorcooks.com so you can keep checking back there and see what's going on. It's going to come out later on in the week and yeah, just going to keep on shredding and thanks for listening. Go eat at SRV and check back next week. There's going to be a new interview. Next week is going to be Matt Lenahan from Sparrow Ark Farm and we're going to talk all about potatoes. So we got that going on. Um, Yeah. Thanks for listening. Check you guys next week.